Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or a real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you successfully sued a corporation only to have the principal claim it had no assets. What did you do? Dennis, we showed after the judgment there was a pattern of the principal taking money out of the corporation for his own personal purposes. And the outcome? After examining and documenting the corporation bank statements, we showed a pattern where the principal was using the corporation as his own personal piggy bank. We were able to show that he personally had a lot of money and should be the real defendant. He thought he could get away with everything by hiding behind the skirts of the corporation, but now he's personally liable. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. This is Brock Lurie, and this is the Brock Lurie Podcast. With me, my good friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. Um, you know, we often talk about our fascination with the inadequacies of liberalism, right? The strange world that it offers. Um, and the, the, the lack of, the utter lack of logic that it offers. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, like, we're, we're always befuddled, aren't we, Ari? I mean, if you took all of our podcasts and put them together and, and said, is there one theme for all of our podcasts? It would be a big question mark. Like, what is, how can anyone believe in this crap, right? Uh, that, uh, even more personal, I think I've actually given voice to this because I'm the, you have me on to, to counterpoint, to right. counterbalance your reasonableness. Because <laughs> I usually jump immediately to, what the hell's wrong with these people? That's right. That's exactly right. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, and, and and literally, you know, it's it's the equivalent of, I don't know, you go out in the um, in the snow, and you go out naked or just with a flimsy t-shirt, and you say, you know, I, I think you're really gonna, you know, have uh, you get frostbite. It's it's a bad stuff that you're, you're gonna really suffer as a result of of doing this. You need to dress more warmly, and they say, no, no, I, I know what I'm doing, and sure enough. It's it's bad enough. They come, they they go out. They do get frostbitten. They actually lose a few toes or so, and then they go back into the house and say, "Whoo, that was." Uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm gonna learn my lesson, <laughs> and then and then they say, "I'm gonna do it again," right? And they go out. And say, but but Bob, don't you remember when you went out before and you lost those toes, right? And you might lose more toes. What do you know? <laughs> they say, and they go out and they do it again. Well, even more, rather than just what do you know. They blame you for the loss of the toes because you happen to mention it. Right. Well, it, it's only of stupidity of which I sp- now speak. Oh. Okay. <laughs> That's all I'm, I'm you know. The, the, I jumped ahead to the ballast. Yes. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> the ballast is already there. Um, <clears throat> and you're right, of course. But but you choose any kind of bizarre thing that you would think like, oh, I see an airplane in the sky as I'm looking outside right now. Let's fly this plane. And we don't need the wings anymore on this plane. Right? It was, there's, there's no reason for these wings. So. <laughs> they, That's a great example. Right? <laughs> the, the pilot presses a button, you know, wing eject, right? <laughs> and uh, now we're off for winding wing eject. Uh, and of course, you know, the, the, the plane, you know, eventually crashes. 
And the people are so surprised, so very surprised as to why the plane is crashing. Okay, because you don't have the wings, right? And, and you know, choose anything else that you'd like. Uh, you're feel, you feel free to chime in. If, if, you, um, if, you, if you don't, you know, uh, tell your children uh, to, to stay away from the fire, they, they might get burned, right? I, I, I don't know. I, you know, drive without being drunk, okay? That's an example. And it's a bad idea to drive while being drunk and while being 11 years old, okay? Those are bad circumstances. It's, it's, it's going to lead to disaster. Uh, if you want to swim, I recommend that you learn how to swim first. Okay, don't just throw yourself in the pool. <clears throat> the, we can go on and on with these things. All of these seem ridiculous, naturally, right? I mean, it seems so obvious. And yet, the obviousness doesn't seem to hit liberals when it comes to their own programs, which they love so much. It, it, I mean, I don't know about you, but my kids, all the time, they, they say they're, they're inside the house on a cold day, and they look outside and they say, oh, I don't, I don't need a jacket. Uh, you know, John, Johnny, you need a jacket. I don't need a jacket. I'm fine. Yeah, but when you go outside, you'll see that it's cold, and then you'll need the jacket. Well, I don't see that now. And you have to convince them that in the future, which is not too far in the future, it's about a minute in the future, they're going to be very cold. And so, you know, what I do as a parent is I say, okay, fine, go, go, Johnny, go outside. And then sure enough, they come back and they say, yeah, you're right, it's cold, I need a jacket. I, they have to experience it first. They have to gain the wisdom. Right, why do you let them back in? <laughs> you will suffer. <laughs> right. uh, no, it's, it's, uh, but the, the, that's the way it is with, with liberals, though. They, they have to go out and they have to experience these programs. The problem with it, and, and unfortunately, they, there is no institutional memory because what happens is that there's a new generation that comes every time and they're told the same pile of crap every time that there's a living wage or the rich should pay their fair share and there's white privilege and it, it's all about fairness and the gap between the rich and the poor. These conversations you know, have been occurring time and time again. But with each new generation, it seems new. Um, you know, you don't need to, uh, uh, you know, care about uh, sexual relationships. Uh, you, you just, you know, have fun. There won't be any consequences to that. Oh, I guess there are consequences. That's too bad. I didn't realize. It, it, this is, it, it constantly happens like that. So unlike little Johnny, who eventually develops wisdom within his own life and then understands that, you know what? It looks like everyone else is uh, wearing parkas today. Maybe I should wear a parka too because it's probably an indication that's really darn cold outside, right? And he learns that wisdom in his life. But it's not so with liberalism. They don't realize that the, the same garbage that they believe in now has been tried in the past and has failed in the past many, many times. So we're always, you know, we're fascinated by this. But at the end of the day, you, you can say, well, that's just kind of naive young people not really getting it. And that's why they, they like Bernie Sanders and socialism and such like that, because they haven't experienced life. But it turns out, Ari, as you and I know, there are people like Bernie Sanders himself, who is a 74-year-old socialist, an atheist, no less. And he really believes this crap. And you and I have marveled how somebody could be 74 years on the planet and still believe that socialism works. That's fascinating to me. I, I can understand why a 20-year-old believes that, but not a 74-year-old. And this is who he is. 
He believes this crap. So how is it possible? That's, that's the ultimate thing. And we have, we have other friends of ours, mutual friends of ours, who are very liberal. They're 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old and older that embrace this liberalism. And they, they, they think it's the right way to go. How is this possible? We ask ourselves. And we have come to the conclusion that it is a form of an addiction. It is, you know, I don't know who said it, uh, Michael Savage or, or somebody else. He said it's a disease. I don't know that it's a disease. But it is an addiction. Well, if, if you're going by the general um, Alcoholics Anonymous definition of a disease of the soul. Yeah, a very expansive definition of disease. Yeah, yeah. Then, then in, case, then in that case, there yes. There are some parallels to the addictive nature of these. What is alcoholism or, or drug addiction as a disease? It's a disease in which the thing that makes you unhealthy, you are compelled to do more of. Right. Because it gives you certain pleasure centers are stimulated numbing you to the damage it's causing. Right. Well, let's focus and, and on the... in many ways, liberalism yeah. does that to people. So let's focus on the word addiction because that's really more appropriate, I think. And, and to the extent that addiction is a disease, fine, I don't care. But it is an addiction. <clears throat> and addictions, kind of, kind of uh, jumping off from where, where you just started there, Ari, they're really forms of comfort, aren't they? Right? It's what you know. And you decide to, that you need to keep on going forward with it. So this applies not only to alcohol and drugs, but also applies to gambling because this is the way you understand the world. This is where you think you'll make your big payoff. Um, there's hard work involved to do something else, some other way to get money. Or you could be addicted to a person, uh, that, that husband, for example, that keeps beating you. But you keep on going back to him because it's what you know. And it's, it's the way you relate to the world, in a way. Um, same thing with um, uh, not just alcoholism and, and, and drug abuse, um, but the, you know, our whole personality that some people have. Some people are very suspicious all the time, or they have conspiratorial views. Or they're addicted to their anger and rages. Sure, that's know? a good and, example, too. And, and the reason I think it's very interesting to start looking in the that disease of the soul direction, though, is because we constantly find and all, you know, our Windex, as you've told it, is yeah. God. Yeah. And what does what does a path to God do? And remember, path to God's never lead directly entirely to the bullseye of God on there, right? That's what happens right, for Right, right, But it takes you ever closer. And as you approach closer and closer to God, the diseases of your soul die off and are cured. Yeah, and are filled so by the soulful health or spiritual health. It's really true. Um, and so liberalism is, is the liberals who constantly make this, uh, these decisions that are dysfunctional are people whose souls and spiritual health is con- compromised. You know, and going back to what you said about the Windex, let me explain to our newer listeners on this. We had a podcast and a Sunday show a while back where we explored that really kind of cool thing from the, the, the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding, in which I think the older father uh, had such faith in that product Windex, you know, the window cleaner. And for him, Windex was the cure-all and end-all for all things in life. You have a headache. Pour some, spray some Windex on your forehead, and and you'll be good. Uh, it's a salad dressing. It, need, a, need a hot meal? Eat some Windex. Exactly. It, uh, if if your door is squeaking, put some Windex on. So you get the idea. But so we, we joked around like, what is your Windex? What is the what is the thing that would be the the answer to solve all life's 
seemingly complicated problems and, and at least the explanation for so many different things. And we talked about it being a God-based free market capitalism would be the, the solution, the Windex, as it were, to so many of life's seemingly complex problems. And, and that's, what, that's what Ari was just talking about now. Uh, I, I agree with him. But if you have an addiction, it blocks you, right? I mean, it, alcoholism, we look at these people and we say, you've got to break free from this. Right, you, you got to stop the madness. Stop drinking alcohol. Right, at some point you've, you've got to cut yourself off altogether because it's so destructive. But it is the path that he understands best. It's the solution to his suffering, whatever it is, however he views the world. It, it, it numbs his brain in such a way that he is best able to deal with it. And so it is with liberalism. Right, liberalism is the addiction. It is the numbing of your mind so that it allows you to accept the world uh, the way you want to, to believe it to be. And it makes you ever sicker while making you convinced in the moment that it's making you healthy. Yeah. Because think about how we constantly talk about the problems liberalism causes, and our liberal friends only provide more liberal solutions to solve the same problems oh, caused yeah. by their earlier liberalism. The same way an alcoholic whose alcohol is causing all the problems in his life will do anything to fix his life other right. than quick drinking. Right. It's like the Homer Simpson episode where uh, there was a, 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 you know, a local prohibition on all alcohol. And so finally they realized, you know what, this is crazy. We, we need to lift prohibition. And uh, Homer stands up so happy because now he gets to drink beer again. And he, and he holds up a beer and he says, alcohol, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's the way liberalism actually operates. Right. They, that's their political they, they, theory they, in a nutshell. Yeah. They believe that uh, what, if, you, if you have an alcohol problem, well, your, your response to it is to have more alcohol. And, and to make a perfect analogy... Not that I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm not that fond of alcohol anyway. I'm not a big drinker by any stretch. I have no problem with people drinking. It's just I, I think maybe I'll have a, a glass of wine once a month at the on, on average. Uh, so I've never really had a hangover, but I do know that when people are blitzed the night before and then they do have the hangover, one way to get rid of the hangover is to drink some more. Morning. So your body says thank you very much. And you're back to square one, obviously making the situation worse for later, but nevertheless, for the moment, you feel good. Right, and that's how, exactly how addictions work. Uh, uh, there was a very interesting guest on okay, the yeah, let, me, let me just, because oh, yes, yeah. I wanted to yeah. finish up. Very similar to the, the debt problem, right? Right. So what they do is, uh, here we are, we, we, we've got a crisis, we now have to pay the piper. At some point, it's going to be very painful. And then they say, no, no, let's just keep on borrowing some more. Ah, that feels a lot better. Yes. We're okay again. Yeah. Right? And, and uh, the, the, the continuation of that is Prager had uh, someone on talking about heroin addiction. And the perception of those who don't, of us who are not addicted to it, go, wow, it's really dangerous. You do it once, you wind up addicted. Uh-uh. It takes work. It doesn't feel good the first few times you do it. You have to do it a few times, experience the sickness, and get to the point where doing it again relieves the sickness of the... Oh, that's so interesting. Similarly, you only become an alcoholic by binge drinking and needing to 
make yourself come back to life the next morning with more alcohol and do that over and over, and then you wind up a problem drinker. So similarly, in the political sense, you have uh, Woodrow Wilson and the first flood of modern, progressive, horrible programs that result in devastation, debt, slums, ghettoization, uh, you know, people at each other's throats through you know, lack of prosperity. And then FDR comes around when the full brunt of those mistakes have resulted in the hangover. He comes, well, now we need the New Deal. Then, right. then four, 30 years later comes uh, uh, Lyndon Johnson. Now right. we need the Great Society. Right, never seeing himself in context, yeah. never seeing, in fact, that he's just repeating the same mistakes that he previously did. Yeah. They all sound so wonderful, uh, I guess, but they never think about, I never ask the question, what works, which is the ultimate conservative question. Now, I want to talk briefly about that, that, that phrase, what works, because the, the liberal mind doesn't ask that. In the same way that the alcoholic doesn't ask the question, at least when he's really in the thick of it, you know what, I really need to quit this crap. It just can't think this way. It's not, it's not rational thinking at this moment. And the same thing with drug abuse, uh, and to a lesser extent, cigarette smoking. Um, but but the, their whole mantra, the way they perceive the world is one where they have to repeat and increase their madness in order to, to do it. They have to break away. And if they're really going to be well, they have to break away. And that, this is why the parallel is so perfect. Uh, and by the way, this is, this is Ari's idea, that the notion that, that liberalism is a form of addiction, and we need to look at it as an addiction. I thought it was a very astute and brilliant observation, Ari, and that's why I wanted to explore it. I, I think that he really hit on something here quite a bit. The only way to break free from debt, for example, debt addiction, as it were, right, is to stop the debt. It's going to be painful. You would you would stop the debt madness by not spending so much and then having to, yes, engage in an austerity to some extent and then discovering that, gosh, you can rebuild in a, in a much more responsible way. And does that sound like... Uh, AA? Yes, it does. Yeah. Well, it's exactly what it is. Right, and you take it out of the collective sense. Let's just say someone has gotten themselves in way over the head in personal debt. How to solve the problem? Stop doing stuff. <laughs> right. Right? right. And this stop gets stop to a, charging the car. Right. This gets to a very interesting kind of dysfunctional thing in human existence, and it crosses over into workaholism. What do I mean by that? How often do you hear the liberal pose the question, well, we can't just do nothing, can we? Well, <laughs> right. doing nothing is the very perfect solution for all these. If you're a heroin addict, stop doing the heroin. Right. If you're an alcoholic, stop drinking. If you're a spendaholic, stop spending. If you're a workaholic, go home, relax. That's right. If, you're, That's right. if your liberal policies are killing your society and causing wars around the world, maybe you just have to stop and do a little bit of nothing. And when we talk about getting in touch with God, how often is the, the phraseology something along the line of stop, listen, relax, connect to your soul, just be quiet, right. Right. be right. at peace? Right. Right? Well, but instead what happens is that our society and such always talks about, you know, this this great uh, attention distractor yet again, whether it's the TV or the iPad or the um, or, or the internet in some way or the other, there, there's always something going on, something to titillate, something to draw your attention away, and it's it's really the drug. And no one says, let's study the impact of liberalism. Let's study the 
the what works aspect of liberalism. They don't do that. Now, listen, the president recently said and a very interesting thing. This is kind of ties in uh, to everything that we're talking about, Ari, where um, you say, on the one hand, you know, gosh, let's let's discuss the differences between socialism and, and democracy and somebody and capitalism. And somebody actually asked him that question. Do you do you think that there's something good about socialism? And the response to the question, I, I don't remember if that was the exact question, but the response I do remember very well. He said, it's, you know, socialism, capitalism, you know, all I really care about is what works. Remember? Yeah, and, and, and it, it was missing the part where he said they're all pretty much the same thing. Yeah, oh, yeah that's I right. I only care about what works. I only care. Okay. So, first of all, as I explained in my Sunday show, he doesn't care about that. He clearly doesn't because if he did actually care about what worked, he would have already abandoned socialism a long time ago because any advisor would have told him this socialism crap really doesn't work, Mr. President, and it only feeds into this horrible, vicious cycle. Look at what's happening in Scandinavia where they have to import all these people in order to, to prop up their, their culture, um, only to doom itself in, in the end. And then, of course, the, the standard of living is so poor, and what we consider middle, um, a, a poor here is, is a beyond middle class over there, and it's too easy to, to explain, right? And so clearly socialism doesn't work. It doesn't innovate, doesn't, pro- doesn't provide the progress, any, anything that you would possibly want from society. So he doesn't, he doesn't really ans- ask that question to himself, and he certainly doesn't answer the question for himself. Uh, it, it reflects the addiction, is my point. It reflects this, the inability to see the difference between socialism and capitalism, that they are in fact very distinct ideas that he doesn't see, as, as you said, the, even the difference between the two, reflects uh, the same mindset as an alcoholic who thinks that the alcohol is uh, it, it's not impairing his sense of reality at all, that being sober and being drunk are one of the same. In his mind, it is, right? It, or that he has a, a handle on his gambling addiction or his drug addiction, for that matter. He lies to himself. And the, the addict, the one thing that's very consistent about addiction is the addict always lies to himself, right? He cannot embrace the truth that his addiction is destroying him. Because if he did, then he would at least start taking steps to stop doing the drugs, to stop doing the alcohol, to stop the, uh, the, the anger, the conspiratorial um, <clears throat> mindset, or whatever it is that, that he's addicted to. But you don't see that among the liberals. The liberals will keep on espousing these crazy ideas. Now, and I wonder, maybe as you do, Ari, you know, is my conservatism, is that the product of just my associations? Is it the product of just something I saw on TV one day and, you know, I I wanted to be associated with conservative people because I don't know why? Um, And the answer comes very clearly, of course not. I mean... Everyone that I went to college with was liberal, so why would I go to conservatism? Why would I not fully embrace liberalism? Everyone else did, so why wouldn't I have? The answer, even more harshly put, is what am I, nuts? 
Why would I take on this burden? Why would I make ripples in the pond of my yeah. my my society around me here it's in, so much easier. in West L.A.? Yeah. I, I would just go with the flow. Why would I choose an ideology just for self-fulfillment that puts me in direct conflict with people in arguments day in, day out, yeah. just for poops and giggles? Yeah, that's of right. Of course not. Of course not. I'm so, not insane. Yeah. It makes no sense. But but we feel, you know, to some extent, I feel like the guys in the, in the Matrix, you know, where... You know, that they basically show you that you're not in the reality that you think you're in. Right. We're the ones who see the matrix and have seen the outside of it. Right. And it's not and a pretty it's picture. Ugly. Yeah. It's and, right. and the other thing, and I, I don't know how we were planning to transition to this, but it just came to mind, is the idea of border personality disorder. Right. Where... In the common sense, picture a mother and a child, and the mother can't tell where her personality begins and ends in relation to a child, so she projects all these things upon the child that may or may not be the traits of the child, etc. Addictions have the same thing. Yeah. You learn to love your heroin addiction like a little pet that's part of you. You learn to love your alcoholism <clears throat> like it's part of you, that's like right. your self-identity. The liberal learns to love the liberalism despite any dysfunction that we may, as conservatives, present to them that they immediately reject because their liberalism is welded to their soul as part of their personality. Right. That's exactly right. They, they do not separate themselves from their ideology. They are their ideology. They are one of the same. Just like the alcohol and the alcoholic do not necessarily have any sense of differentiation, right? He he thinks you know, his alcohol is, is part of his identity, whether he realizes it or not, by the way. It doesn't matter whether he realizes it. In fact, you have to say, Bob, you have an alcohol problem. You right? have a problem. Right. That's what the intervention that, is. That's the intervention is all about. And he says, no, I don't. I, I don't identify with But what you're really saying to Bob in this situation is you are so wrapped up in alcohol, and alcohol is so wrapped up inside you. You, you need to separate from alcohol. That's what you're really saying, aren't you? Yeah. You're saying you, you, you can't. You, you need to be so separate from them because your your, your connection is so strong that to be any more connected or ever again connected, it's going to destroy you. So separate completely, and that's very very difficult. It's it's as it's as difficult for some people as asking a mother to separate from her child. Like you, like you said. Yeah, it feels to many people like a, a version of committing suicide because it is. They have to necessarily kill a part of themselves that has become dependent right. on their soul being and, nourished. And here, it, and here is the point: because once you get rid of the alcohol problem, or part of the reason why an alcoholic will be afraid to give up alcohol, the drug uh, addict will be afraid to give up uh, the drug, is because. They're terrified of what the world will look like after the fact, right? So this is, and that's part of the reason why they went into drugs in the first place, part of the reason why they went into alcohol in the first place, or gambling, whatever, whatever the addiction is. The same thing is true for the liberal. He's terrified of opening up his mind to the reality of the matrix, if you want. Uh, he's terrified of, of understanding the reality of the way markets work, uh, of the way human nature works, of what what prosperity really means. He's terrified of that because if it does, it means to reshape his entire world and to think of the world in very different terms and to maybe even have different associations of people altogether to completely un to flip on its head the whole world. And that is a very daunting prospect. As difficult as you said, Ari, as ripping apart 
the mother from the child. Yes. And to a point about that, and back to the other point where we question our own connection to conservatism, it proves that we don't have that with conservatism. Right. We are not wedded to the conservative philosophical suite of ideas as part of ourselves. We can drop any one of those ideas or latch onto new ones at any time because we don't look at them as part and parcel of our own souls. Right. We have no... We have no um, uh, identity. identity. Yeah. We have no uh, yeah. something in the game. Yeah, uh, skin in the game. Skin in the game yeah. in that game at all. We, we yeah. just don't care. Yeah, stick with but, me. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take you to uh, metaphorical thank places. You. Thank you. But but the the uh, on the other side, they also see because we don't hate the liberal. We just kind of feel sorry for them and just offer them information. Hopefully, right. they'll see the matrix that we're trying to show right. them. They hate us. So when one of them chooses to leave the matrix and step out of it into our world, yeah. they're terrified, they're shocked. A, that we're going to hate them, right. and B, they're even more terrified that all they're going to leave, like those who leave cults, are right. now going to become well, you know, persona it's, it's very much so exactly like that. One of the um, – and, and I've seen that from many – Conservatives who were once liberals, and they announce how how uh, difficult it has been a change for them because they realize their friends are suddenly pooping on them all the time, saying how could how could you do this? They're 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 very angry because uh, at their their newly found conservative friends because um, it, it's a it's an indication to them that maybe they're. Uh, in the wrong about the way they believe life is to be and such like that. They can't make that leap. They're terrified about it. To, to underscore your point, and maybe this is how we'll wrap up this segment, Ari, is one of the things I love to do is I ask people to identify themselves. And this might be the next segment for all I know. But to, I, I ask people to identify themselves. What, how are you, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I'm not asking you, Ari, but I'm asking rhetorically. And, you know, if you were, if you were to ask me, I would say uh, a lover of God. God is the biggest part of my identity. And then perhaps it would be, you know, being a Jew, which is very closely tied to that. Then it's about uh, family. Then it's about my role as a, as a lawyer. And then a conservative. Okay, or maybe, you know, you can flip around the conservative part of the lawyer. I don't know. But it's not the first thing that I say. And I dare say that if you were to ask most conservatives, if you were to take a poll of conservatives and ask them to identify themselves. Like, like I just said, the, the percentage of conservatives who would first say the word conservative as the first order of identity would be much lower than the percentage of liberals who announce that their being a liberal is their first order of identity. Yeah, like that line from Annie Hall when um, Carol Kane and Woody Allen meet each other. Well, where are you? Liberal, uh, you know, Upper West Side, New York Jew, <laughs> right, yeah. business. Liberal, right. Upper West Side Jew, political act- activist. You right. know? Yeah. Liberal's the very first thing. The very first thing. It, it is their core belief. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is they turn to you because... Because there are only a few of us relative to them, at least here in Southern California, and they say, oh, what are you talking about, Ari? You're constantly you know, harping about conservatism, and, and, and you are the conservative. No, only because you've made me so. 
That's why. Right. And also, because, and we pointed this out in past podcasts before, especially about capitalism, it's because our belief systems are not isms. They're just realities. Yeah, that's true. One of the things that uh, I love about the Founding Fathers is that they, when they broach the subject of, of you know, how do we you know, pursue this, this constitution. They don't even talk about capitalism in the constitution. You know that? They don't, they don't even mention it. Mention. There's no ism involved. Uh, they don't say we are going to be a country that is focused on a socialist uh, rhetoric uh, or communist rhetoric or, or capitalist rhetoric. They, they don't do that. They, instead, they do talk about things like the, the, the embrace of free markets, um, the sanctity of contracts, and freedom of expression. Okay, those three things, things that you would piece together and say, ah, that sounds like capitalism. But they don't necessarily, they never thought of themselves as free market capitalists, right? That's, that was later defined uh, in, in, in hindsight as we look back in time. This is in the same way that you look at mercantilism. You don't necessarily call them, they didn't think of themselves as mercantilists, but they were. Okay, and likewise with feudalism and so on. Um, it's not as if the king announced, okay, folks, we are going to be a feudal society. No, it, it, it just was. And the same thing is true. And, and there was no ism. There was no defining itself. And that's what I love about America and capitalism, generally speaking. Capitalism is only the, the word we use only because we have to differentiate it from the liberalism and the socialism that surrounds us. That's, that's who we are all about. Look, it's, it's very hard to separate oneself from one's belief for many people, not for us. It's part of the reason why you and I were able to become the conservatives that we are today. Both you and I were once uh, very staunch liberals, uh, and, and, and we broke free from it because we were able to open our minds and we were able to differentiate ourselves from who we were. All right. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a case involving a $220,000 promissory note and you won a trial, but later discovered that the defendant had transferred all his assets. Dennis, when judgment debtors don't want to pay, they may shift assets over to their relatives, asking them to hold them till the coast is clear. How did you get the payment? The defendant had transferred title to two commercial buildings. We convinced them to admit it was an illegal transfer. That led to a great settlement with guarantees from relatives with penalties. And don't you know, they're making payments every month on time like clockwork. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. Second part of the podcast, um, <laughs> we are, uh, we, you know, we really enjoyed that first part of the podcast. I thought it was a lot of fun, uh, very intriguing to to understand these issues. It was so good. I jokingly said to you, "How about we just mount that recording twice?" Even <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Even if the listeners feel gypped, at least they're getting uh, a really good material twice. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. 
That's true. They, they won't even remember all the details. But it, no, it, it's really, it, it really is meaningful. It, this is the stuff that, you know, we have some epiphanies. But sometimes these epiphanies just come out, you know, very plainly. It's, it's one of the beauties of appreciating beauty um, is that you notice these, these paradigms of human nature, these, and they come to you. You, 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 you realize that, I don't know, you, you begin to ask questions. As long as you ask questions, and I always say the questions are far more important than the answers, right? Like the questions of, like, why do we appreciate beauty? Why, why is beauty necessary? I mean, in some ways, the liberals create a foil for us. We, they're helpful to us because we realize, you know, that they're, they're very shallow um, positions and postures help us understand why our positions are so much more meaningful. So just for example, we talked offline about how it's nice to treat a lady like a lady, right, to, with respect. And you can say, well, why, why, why do we open doors for them? Why do we stand up for them or should we stand up for them when they walk into a room? Um, why do we kind of try to curtail our uh, more aggressive language when they're, when they're nearby? The reason why, you know, we have to ask ourselves that question because the liberals basically forced that upon us to ask us why we do that. Had they not been around the liberals saying, you know, a lady can swear and, and, and you know, scratch her crotch just like a man does and all those things, had they not been around to do that, we would never, you know, we would just kind of assume this is what you do. But because they're, they're around, it forces us to say, why do we like this better? Why is this the, the better approach? And then the answers, of course, come easily. Because men and women are different. That's why. And civilization will not function unless we enjoy these, these differences and actually emphasize these differences. It's exactly what we want to do. Anyway, that was just one example. Uh, and then another example is why we don't want welfare, for example. I mean, why, why not give money to everybody? And then we realize, oh, this is the reason why we work hard. This is the, because if you really want to enjoy the benefits of life and to improve your own personal life, well, you've got to work hard for yourself. No one's going to do it for you. So they are, in a sense, our foil at the end of the day. And, and I'm so proud of being a conservative. I, I could spend a, you know, more than just half of a podcast as to why I'm proud to be conservative. But really, really conservatism... I think, as you pointed out, Ari, it's not really an ism. It's the way things should be, just like capitalism. Right, just so what you were saying about why do you open doors, why do you not use coarse language on yeah. ladies, why do you pick up the check, because those are the things that just are. Right. Only when the opposite exists do you suddenly notice that it stands out. Right, like a world without being polite, a world without please or thank you. If somebody just started saying, you know, pass me the salt, you mother effer, <laughs> right, you'd say... That doesn't jibe with my sense of what's nice, and I wonder why. Oh, that's right, because he's treating me like an animal. He's treating me like somebody that doesn't have free will, and uh, and that that ain't cool to me. That's the reason why. So they are basically holding a mirror up to ourselves, and I and I enjoy that. Now, I was saying I could spend a whole podcast, if not a, a few of them, about why I'm so proud to be a conservative, but. I think you've spent about 300 podcasts so far. <laughs> yeah, some way or another, that's true. That's a good point. And they're all better than the next. I appreciate that. No, it's, and you're, you're very helpful in that department, Ari. But the conservative part, I don't even see myself as a conservative. It's only a conservative because liberals make me a conservative, right? To me, the natural order of things, I'm simply fl flowing with the natural order of things, which is um, to do God's will, 
to seek out science and truth and, and, and justice and to move forward in a way that, that God would appreciate. And this is what conservatives do. So, but, but that's the label. I'm a conservative. Okay. And I could talk about so much about why I'm, I'm proud of it. And, and here's the question for this half of the podcast. If you're a parent, not forget about whether you're a liberal parent or a conservative parent. If you're a parent, which would you prefer your child to be? A liberal child you know, who grows up to be a liberal adult, rather, or somebody that grows up to be a conservative adult? And I, I think that if, they, if push really came to shove, any parent would say, I'd rather my child be a conservative. And not the cartoonish conservative that liberals like to paint, like... Ned that, Flanders. Well, that's one thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, a, a religious nut or a racist or a greedy bastard, right? So you're either Ned Flanders, like you said, you're either Montgomery Burns or some sort of yokel like... Uh, like uh, what's his name, uh, Cletus from the, you know, <laughs> right. it's one of those three, right? Yeah, or <laughs> you can, some guy who bombs abortion clinics. Yeah, yeah, some, some, yeah. some sort. Of, but those are all, of course, nonsensical, and they're they're false definitions of conservatives. Um, that doesn't make none of those things are conservative. I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about Alex P. Keaton's of the world, right? I mean, it's a fear. It's it's a funny show. Three's not three's company. What is it? It's family ties. family ties, right? Yeah, basically I, uh, someone who grows up to be Ted Cruz. Yeah, and, and that's I, what Alex Keaton obviously did become. That's right. <laughs> he grew up as a character, right? And I remember watching that show, and I wasn't a liberal or conservative. I don't think I even had a sense of what what that was. Um, but I always thought, and I saw that the parents, you know, dealing with him, and they were some somehow frustrated with him. And I thought, but this this kid is is cool. He's, he's perfect. He's why, why wouldn't you be super proud of him? He he's doing well academically. He wants to do the right thing all the time. He loves money, which is kind of a cartoonish way that he loves money. But he also has great ideas and he wants to you know build. Why wouldn't you embrace that? And why wouldn't you encourage that? And why wouldn't you unleash him upon the world and say you're great the way you are? Just do your thing. I might disagree with you, but go ahead. Yeah, do it. I know you'll be okay. But it really begs the, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, that same parent would say, I ought to be like that too, right? Oh, yeah. Right. Wow. So, so found point. Right? So here, here's what I'm trying to say is that, and I think you brought up this a little bit too, if you took all the liberal policies, okay, and you, let's say welfare, right, and legalization of drugs, just to use those two examples, and we can go on to other things too, but... You'd say, look, I'm, I'm for legalization of drugs. But you'd be very frightened if your son started you know, t- smoking a lot of pot. You mean enjoying that newfound God-given right? Yeah. yeah. Hey, Dad, <laughs> you're, 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 you're cool, man. You, I like it. You know, it's, it's, it's pot. But, well, son, I want you to, I want you to study, and, and I want you to, to do well in school so you can get a good job. And, and, and you say, and the son says to him, hey, man, I like welfare. And you're all for welfare, so that's cool, right, Dad? Yeah. And, and best thing, and, Dad? The welfare pays for my pot. How cool is that? <laughs> so, so, the, but, but that that's something that you would just you know bristle as as a parent. You you know on the one hand, your liberal beliefs really don't jibe with what you what you actually would want for your kids. And what I'm trying to say to you is that you actually want the, your kids to act conservatively if they are, if, even if they are not 
self-identifying as conservatives. That's the irony. Exactly. Right? Precisely. So you would want them to be, you know, working hard. Um, you know, I have more than a few liberal friends that speak about their kids, uh, sons and daughters, in a way to say, look, I expect you to work hard. I expect you to, to be honest in school, to not cheat. I expect you not to do drugs. You know, lay off the sauce when it comes to alcohol as much as possible and dedicate yourself. And then one day you can, you know, you know, be a lawyer, be a doctor, whatever it is that you want to pursue, and and make some money, and then also, you know, create a foundation, and give to the world or whatever it is, right? That's, but that's a conservative that you're talking about. Those are all conservative values, and anyone espousing them would be labeled by this liberals' right. cloud of. That lifestyle is a conservative lifestyle. Right. That's the point. Whether you actually believe in conservatism, that's another story. But my point is to you is that you do believe in conservatism. You are a conservative, and you just don't know it. Okay? I'm not talking about holding certain positions about birth control or uh, abortion or even gun control, for that matter. The point is that you act like a conservative. You, are, you would be terribly disappointed if your son went on welfare. You'd be terribly disappointed if your daughter started doing a lot of drugs. You'd be terribly disappointed, especially if your daughter started sleeping around with every boy that she sees, right? You, 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 you'd, be, you'd be terribly disappointed if she had abortion after abortion. And let's, let's marry a, an analogy here for the example to make it to really illustrate the pain of abortion for these people. Abortion from the standard liberal position is consequence-free. Now, imagine your daughter marries a lovely guy they live the perfect lifestyle that you want, but the, and you find out she's pregnant, you're excited about being a grandchild, uh, grandfather or grandmother, and then they come to you and say, we aborted our child. Why? Because of the liberal values that abortion is safe, legal, and we can do it, and because we don't want to overpopulate the earth and right, contribute exactly. to global warming. Of course, of course. You would be horrified, horrified yeah. rightly so. Yeah, yeah, so, uh, I mean, exactly so. Whereas liberalism, <clears throat> I mean, as conservative, we, we just simply believe in the very things that we ask our children to do and to be. That's the difference, I guess. The, you, a liberal will ask their child to, to do and to be uh, a conservative, but nevertheless to espouse liberal beliefs. So uh, it's, it's kind of a funky thing. Now, let, let's be fair. Uh, if we had you know, Joe Liberal here, I, you and I know exactly what he would say. He would say, come on, he would give a grimace, grimace uh, and he would say, no, we're simply saying that for those who are less fortunate, they need to have the benefit of welfare, they need to have the benefit of affirmative action, um, and that as far as drug control is concerned, well, you know, we, you know there's too much, inf too much uh, criminalization of stuff, and it's not fair to those people who are criminalized merely for a victimless crime such as pot use or other drugs like that. And to, to that I say, well, why, if, if conservatism, acting conservative, is good for your child, why isn't it good for a poor person's child? Why would you have a different answer for a poor parent's child? Why? And there's no better example of that, now that I think about it, than school choice, right? No. Right? Isn't that devastating? Devastating. Yeah. Why is it? I get to send my child because I want him to have the most rigorous education possible um, in a high school and college, uh, wherever 
I want in a private school or otherwise, or I might have the ability to move to where the schools are good, public schools, but you who are poor, you, you are stuck and you will live in this filthy, gang-ridden public school where he's terrified to go every day. Because it's not because he's terrified. He's terrified because it's actually dangerous. That's right. It's actually dangerous. And you won't learn anything. But other than that, it's a great idea, right? And, and all for the sake of the school unions or whatever it might be. Right. And forget just poor, but the different ethnicities that you speak so highly about, Mr. Liberal. Right. Um, you know, a black, Hispanic, etc. Affirmative action is, is, is a, a very good example of everything we're talking about, right? Affirmative action uh, violates every conservative sense that you are... You are less than merely because of your skin color, uh, skin color, or your nationality or culture, and um, you need a leg up, and everyone else needs to entertain you and dance around you in a very ginger way. And let you have lower standards for success right. for you. Right, and, and exactly lower standards, and then the entitlement. Right, you would never impose that upon your child. You never say, "Son," I mean, if you did, you, you truly would not be conservative. But, but most of my liberal friends would never say, you're entitled to these goodies, um, and the, the, the man owes you, or whatever it is. That, that's a, a very poor parenting, parenting technique. The right, a, a good parent would say, you need to work for yourself, you need to make your own bones, um, and you need to make something of yourself. You need to contribute to society, you need to be creative, you need to build, and I expect you to make a family of your, of your own one day, and I want you to be a good father and teach good values to your, your kids. That is conservatism, plain and simple. Now again, the, the, the liberal listening to this will say, come on, Barack, you know, uh, that, you know, those are liberal values too. No, they're not. What, how so? Where, where, does, where does anywhere the liberal dogma say that we expect you to make your own bones? On the contrary, they... They seem to insist on a world where nobody makes their own bones, that everyone, you know, some, some, some group of people, some niche people called the, the uber-rich take care of everything for everybody, but never asking, of course, how they got to be uber-rich in the first place. But this is the, the fantasy world that they live in. So they, they actually don't expect you to make your own bones. They expect everyone to, you know, someone else to provide, call the government with a capital G, and they will provide the medical necessities, they will provide the university, they will provide the basic functions of life, and, uh, and everyone will ride around on bikes. That's what they espouse. So don't tell me for a moment that this jibes well whatsoever with a, a work ethic where you are supposed to compete. Don't tell me that for a moment, Mr. Liberal. You may think that it, that it jibes because you say so, but it doesn't when you actually think through it. Yeah, and it's interesting how they completely contradict human nature. These are people who, in general, have the value that uh, the natural world must be treated as sacrosanct. The air, the water, the ecosystems. But then, when it comes to human nature, they expect human nature to have only exceptions to the prevailing environment 
environment around it so that despite having absolutely no incentives to succeed once their utopia is creative, they want to point to the rare ones that actually are exceptions to the no incentive and actually work hard and wind up successes. Right. Oh, that's so true. That's so true. You know, a, a very good example of that, this actually dovetails very nicely into my next point, and it's very related. My wife brought up a very good point, and I, I wish I had thought about it before. It was it's such an astute point. She says, you know, it's, it's so funny for her, uh, maybe c- because she's a woman, she sees the dichotomy a little bit more clearly than we would. But my son uh, went and played um, um, flag football, um, I guess touch football, they call it. And... And he's in, he was in fourth grade at the time. And it's a very aggressive game. They don't actually knock each other, but it's pretty, a little punch, a lot of pushing and, and, and things like that to grab the little flag. Well, despite that, the qualifier before the word, the word football is still in the name of the game. Yes, exactly right. So, <laughs> right? yeah, that's true. But she pointed out, and quite correctly, she says, in school, they teach you share, don't get in the way. You know, it, it's a lot of liberal ideology, right? And we need to be thinking of, about each other and everyone is a winner and things like that. And then they, three o'clock rolls around and then they, they say, go for the jugular. Yeah. Here's you your know. 45 minutes of capitalism. That's right. right. You want that ball. That ball's yours. Don't give it to him, <laughs> right? Well, it's complete dichotomy. And we're simply saying uh, as conservatives that e- even a liberal parent when they're out in the field, they don't expect their child to share the soccer ball. They or want share that the touchdown. Yeah, or... they want their boy to be the one that makes the great pass or catches the great pass. They want him to to excel, not at the expense of everyone else, but they they, they, they want him to excel. Thank you very much, and they will be very proud and they'll say, "Don't you know, Johnny? He just got it on the varsity team. Isn't that cool? And it looks like he's going to be quarterback in, in next season." And uh, he's got the prettiest girl and uh, whatever it might be. And now he's getting a scholarship. All those things they're very proud of, and rightfully so, by the way. But that is completely antithetical to liberalism. Completely. So, again, they act as conservatives and yet espouse liberal ideology. So, again, liberals have to spend all their time, when they respond to us in this, um, they will spend all their time compartmentalizing their arguments, saying, oh, that's all good and well for you rich people. That's all good and well for people who have a stable family. That's all good and well for people who weren't born with uh, drugs in their system when they were born. You know, that's, that's how they talk. But the reality is, like I said, if conservatism is good for, for you and hard work is good for you, then it's good for everybody. It has to be consistent. I also just thought of one other thing, going back sort of to the original theme, which is, despite your political ideology, isn't conservatism what you'd want for your children? Yeah. It goes back to the state of mind and uh, state of happiness. Considering how morose and miserable liberals are, even those who don't admit it, we as conservatives observe it. We see how happy conservative people are, by and large. Good point. And we see how miserable... And morose and just negative liberal people are, by and large. By and large. There are exceptions, of yeah. course. Those on drugs can be happy <laughs> while they've gotten their fix. No, 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 listen, it's, it's a fair statement yeah. that there are, there are many liberals. Uh, I don't know what percentage, but I would, I would dare say, to, to kind of follow up on your, maybe to clarify your point, 
that if you took the percentage of happy people among conservatives, uh, or less, at least self-identifying conservatives, that number, that percentage, I think, would be much higher, not just a little bit, but much higher than the percentage of people who self-identify as liberals. Oh, it's, it's obvious. Yeah. But why as a parent would you ever want your child walking around? Let's just say they're hardworking, ambitious, successful, all the things, right. that, except they are liberal. So they're convinced the world is going to end because of the uh, flatulence of car- cows and the exhaust from SUVs. Right. They're convinced the ocean levels are inevitably going to rise, and it, there's no point to even buying oceanfront property because it'll be submerged in 10 years anyway. They're convinced that the same way in the 1950s and the early 80s, the people were scared of, of nuclear Armageddon. They're convinced that an environment... Varostatus Armageddon is I, I on get its it. way. You're, There's no way to yeah. be happy if you hold those mindsets. So why would you ever want to curse your children with those mindsets? Yeah, well, they'll say, uh, having been a liberal once myself, they'll say, well, we're just being realistic and we have to deal with the realities on the ground and we've got to fight these things. Otherwise, and nobody will be happy, my good friend, uh, Mr. David uh, or Mr. Mr. Lurie. Uh, we're, we're, we're dealing with the, we're talking of the major problems of the world head on. Thank you very much. So that, that's what they'll say. But then, of course, th- they've always been wrong. <laughs> so every single time, you said it once very well. Conservatives, sorry, liberals think um, in terms of restricting resources, and conservatives think of the answer being how to expand resources. The abundance versus the abundance, the yeah, scarcity uh, versus scarcity. I like that. Yeah. And, 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 and a good a good example right. of that is Israel and how it responded to its water crisis, and how California, by converse, is responding to its water crisis. Israel thought expansively <clears throat> and said, "Look, you know, we, we have a growing population. They're, they ain't making no more rivers nearby, so." We need to find a way to bring more water, and we need to think expansively. And they did. And now they have zero water issues at all. They have very clean water, and it's flowing everywhere. And people take 15-minute uh, showers, thank you very much, if they want to waste their time, of course. Uh, whereas here, because of the liberal policies, they can only think restrictively. Only. And that's the way liberals think, generally speaking. But let's, let's, we're going far away yeah, from, now, well, from where we want to be. Well, I want to make one uh, kind of a, a point about what you just said which is how they would say, well, don't you care? Yeah. Or aren't you worried about... Yes, conservatives, we do care, and we are worried. We are worried about terrorism, the expansion of, of human evil, right. uh, tyranny, all sorts of really depressing stuff. Yeah. But we're happy, right. well, by and large, day in, day out. That's true, too. But, but our, and our resolution to the problems will work. <laughs> right, kill Whereas the bad guys. Right. Well, not only that, but we also recognize, just to use climate change as an example, we recognize that it's a, it's a farce, the whole thing, and that whatever is going to be happening 50 years from now will, you know, they, they always, again, engage in static thinking. They think that the, that the cars will always be exactly the same way they are now, and the pollution will be exactly the same, and, and that, that the, the climate actually will respond to man's presence and such. But, you know, things change all the time. So it's not because uh, of anything that we can predict. It's nonsense. They've been wrong every single time. And the population scare is the best one where, of course, we we kept on going saying, no, we we have infinite faith in mankind's ability to, uh, to address serious problems. It's never been that the actions of, of man has been such that it's destroyed civilization. It's never been that way. 
okay? I mean, it's, it's yes, you can say uh, this village or that village, you know, they, they overtilled the land and such, and therefore they weren't able to do it. But by and large, the reason why civilization collapses, it's not because of an over-farming or, um, you know, a failure to drink enough water or something like that. It's because of cultural death. That's what it is. And a failure to recognize that means that you'll never really grow. And but the happiness part is a very important one because happiness and the pursuit of happiness, more importantly, usually means I want to avoid disaster in my future. You see, happiness is just, it's not, it's not defined by ignoring problems. On the contrary, happiness is by dealing with problems and anticipating them and avoiding them from, for uh, you know, disasters happening in the future. So, for example, when I get new clients, I'm happy. <laughs> Because it means that I'm avoiding the problem of not having enough money to pay for my children and my wife and the, the, the mortgage and everything else. It makes me happy. If, if for some reason, God forbid, I, I stopped having any more clients whatsoever, I could pretend that's not happening and just be happy, happy. But of course, I'm going to end up in, on the street at some point. So the, way, the reason why we conservatives are so happy, I think, is because we deal with the issues of life. We understand that we have to plan for the future. I think much in the same way as, as uh, Pharaoh was happy about planning for the seven years of famine in, in the days of Egypt. The good Pharaoh. The good Pharaoh, yes, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you. But you get the idea. So it's, happiness is a big factor. And so why wouldn't you want your child to be more happy? And if the, if the route to happiness is more likely with a conservative approach, then by golly, let him be conservative. I mean, I would be thrilled, even as a liberal parent. I would say, gosh, you know, if my child identifies himself as a conservative, he tends to like the conservative policies. Well, gosh, that probably means he's not going to do drugs. It probably means he's not going to expect welfare. It probably means he wants to be a responsible father and husband. It probably means he's not going to make a bunch of women pregnant that he yeah. will ignore the children of. Yeah, he, he, he'll probably have a sense of history and culture and that he... he owes an obligation to his, his society and to pay back to his, his society on his own basis, not to expect others to do it for him. I, I, I would love that. I would love that as, as a parent, as a liberal parent even. Uh, and you can believe whatever you want to believe, but just for a moment, why don't you just preach what you practice? And that's not a Bruck, uh, a Bruck Lurieism, by the way. That's something that... Uh, that uh, Evan Sayed has said, that Dennis Prager has said, and I'm sure many other people have said, it's, it's a brilliant point. Preach what you practice, not just practice what you preach. It's far more important to preach what you practice sometimes. Be there. Be healthy for yourself, but also uh, expect a good approach for your kids. And that good approach is conservatism. Not the car cartoonish conservatism that you want to believe conservatives are, that the, the, kind of, the, the kind of cartoonish characterization that makes you feel good about liberalism, that you care about the poor and, and conservatives don't, that you're uh, that about... you like sex and they don't. Right, right, and they're all prudish or whatever, right? Uh, that, they're, that, they're, that you are expansive in allowing all sorts of different cultural beliefs and they don't, right? That they want to control women and, and keep them in the kitchen and they don't. These are all cartoonish, nonsensical lies, period. And, and when you realize that, as a liberal, you become a conservative very quickly 
because it is, it is stupid. You talk, talk to a conservative and you'll find, I like their sense of direction, their sense of guidelines that are healthy, not only for themselves individually, but healthy for the society at large. That's when we can really grow. I, I, and that's why I say I'm proud to be a conservative, and I think that any liberal, when they really think about it deep down, and they hear their child talking about conservatism, they should smile, at least on the inside. I'm Barack Lurie. Thanks for listening. We'll talk with you real soon.